The funny thing is the fact that this whole press story probably got Antoine Odom a little bit of trouble at home because he told the national media that his wife takes diet pills. Yeah, honey, you taking the fall for this. <laughs> Welcome to episode 23 of the Sports on Point podcast. I am your host, Matthew Smith. I'm Bob Williams. I'm the guy pressing the buttons. My name is Pod Severance. Welcome. All right, guys. Today on the show, we got a whole lot of stuff coming at you. We're in the championship series where the Yankees appear to be the worst of the four teams left. Later in the show, we have for you dirty hits, and we're not talking about Brett Favre's sloppy seconds. We're talking about some other kind of dirty hits in the NFL. And with the BCS, we have Oklahoma on top, Oregon right behind, Dark Horses Auburn and Michigan right there with them. So we got an awesome show for you coming up a little bit later. But before that, let's move on to this week in sports. This is a section where we cover the top shared stories on the internet from every day of the past week. These are the things people are twittering about and putting on their Facebook statuses. So let's see what people are talking about. What about Wednesday? Gilbert Arenas of Washington Wizards fined for faking an injury before a preseason game. Matt. The absolute great thing about this is Gilbert Arenas faked an injury so that the guy sitting behind him on the bench could get some time to develop. Turns out the very next game, Arenas not only got $550,000 for his stunt, but came down with a real injury of his own. Is this karma at work, Bob? I'm saying it's karma. And then again, it's the preseason, so maybe it's okay that he faked an injury in the preseason. Kind of sucks for them uh, going forward that he has a little nagging injury going into the season. And on Thursday, ready to go? Green Bay Packers QB Aaron Rodgers practices. Bob. That's good to hear for the Packers fans. Uh, their season is going to actually ride on Aaron Rodgers being healthy and productive, um, especially since the uh, injury with their uh, starting running back. Both uh, Brandon Jackson and uh, John Kuhn haven't really been doing too much. Yeah, just another injury that this time uh, hopefully Green Bay can get the better side of. This has been a year of injuries for the Packers, and uh, losing Rodgers I think would have been a death blow for him. On Friday, Odom's four-game suspension is upheld. Matt? Antoine Odom did not take a steroid or any other performance-enhancing substance. While driving after midnight from Alabama to Cincinnati to report to training camp, Antoine's wife mistakenly opened her prescription pill bottle instead of Antoine's and gave him one of her prescription weight loss pills instead of Antoine's medicine. Seriously? This is the statement, this is what we're supposed to believe. Every single professional athlete who gets positive tests for drugs always comes up with the most cockamamie stories I've ever heard in my life. I don't know, it seems like this could be directly from a Lifetime movie. Come on, guys, just admit it now. We know it's out there in, in the sports, just admit it. Odom's wife is going to be played by Meredith Baxter Burney. <laughs> Somehow I don't see Hallmark putting their stamp on this one. No. On Saturday, Robbie Hummel of Purdue Boilermakers re-tears his right ACL out for the 2010-11 season. Bob. This is huge for Purdue. You know, they went into the Sweet 16 last year, uh, even though they were missing him. But he's a top 10 player in NCAA, and this definitely hurts Purdue. And that's pretty much what you have with Robbie Hummel. The second straight year he's been lost to an injury. Uh, Any chance this kid had of going pro is gone. It's really unfortunate to see. 
On Sunday, the Oregon Ducks garner first top ranking in AP's top 25. That's not really any surprise here. The Ducks have been running over, literally and figuratively, everybody they've played against so far this year. Uh, I was actually a little bit surprised that they weren't at the top of the BCS as well, but when you can throw computers into the mix, you never can tell what's going to happen. And now begins the revolving chair up at the top. Um, It's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out. We're already on our third number one, technically, in the AP. we probably got another three or four to go. On Monday, Magic Johnson sells ownership stake in the Los Angeles Lakers to a doctor. Bob? Not to his doctor. To an actual season ticket holder for the past 25 years from uh, the L.A. area. But this is just kind of sad. It kind of ends a a run that he's had with the Los Angeles organization. Good luck to him to whatever he does in the future. Yeah, it was kind of unfortunate to see Magic Johnson. When you you think about Magic Johnson, you think about the Lakers, the Lake Show, and the... uh, showtime offense of the uh, late 80s early 90s it's it's really kind of sad to see his his thumbprint on the los angeles lakers going away and going to some doctor which to be fair i guess it is kind of cool for him being a season ticket holder for all these years now he owns a piece of the team probably with the la area he's got to be a plastic surgeon so with the only way you get that kind of money with all the plastic uh people out in la he's probably right in line with the regular fan there right (laughs) And rounding the week off on Tuesday, performance-enhancing shoe? Yes, the Propulsion Labs $300 Concept 1 shoe, which I guess has some type of spring-loaded system that uh, helps you jump a little bit higher. The NBA is considering this a performance enhancer and banning it from competitive games. I think it's the right call to make. If, If this shoe gives somebody a competitive advantage, take it off their feet. If you're not going to give it to everybody, don't let anybody have it. Yeah, smart thing here that the NBA did by just outright banning it. But I think the craziest thing is is that if you need a shoe in order to make the NBA, there's probably something wrong with your dream and you might need to take it somewhere else. I don't know. Wouldn't there be a negative stigma attached to the guy? I mean, look at him. He's wearing the shoe. You know, I think they would make fun of him. Well, see, what would happen is that he would just say that his wife accidentally switched his shoes with hers. Right. And he was wearing her shoes to the game. He would never actually intentionally do that. That five-inch pump actually gave him a competitive <laughs> advantage. Sorry, a five-inch heel. Wait, pump? Uh, it's, I don't know. I don't Pumps know. don't have heels. Okay. So, stilettos. Stilettos. Yeah, those five-inch stilettos gave him a competitive advantage. Now on to our to-the-point section. This is a section where we're going to have an open format chat about the three topics that we teased a little bit earlier in the episode. So let's get started. BCS rankings came out for the first time this week, Bob. We got Oklahoma, Oregon, and Boise in the top three. Definitely an interesting week for the first BCS polls to come out with uh, two straight number one teams losing back-to-back weeks. Uh, Oregon takes their spot at the top in the AP AP top 25, but number two in the BCS. What do you think? What do I think? It, it, you know, right now it seems to be rolling up just the way it needs to be. You have all the undefeateds up there. You do have Alabama and even Ohio State still creeping around in the top ten. But Auburn, Michigan State, you know, those are definitely two teams that I wasn't expecting at the beginning of the year to be up there. And then we also have the miracle known as LSU 
thanks to uh, Les Miles' horrible, horrible decisions somewhere floating around there. I'm just waiting for that shoe to fall and him to actually drop out of the top ten. Well, you know that uh, we know that Auburn and LSU, those two guys, I don't believe both of those guys could finish undefeated. So one of those two has to go down. And whoever doesn't go down has got to make their way through Alabama to go undefeated. So I don't really see any undefeated teams coming out of the SEC. Oklahoma has a really good shot, I think, of finish the season undefeated. But Oregon's got a tough road yet. They still got to play against USC. I think, however, I, I like Boise State's odds of sneaking into the championship game way more than I want to. It's uh, it seems like everything's kind of fallen in place for him, and it just it 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 makes my stomach turn. Not that I don't wish the best for those kids. Just if a team like Ohio State could drop a game to to Wisconsin, a team that they've had bad blood with over the past, and it's a top twenty-five team, there's no reason to believe that a team like Boise State wouldn't have a similar fate if they played against rival teams of that caliber, and they just don't. Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree with you in that sentiment, Matt. Right now, I would say a one-loss Alabama team and even a one-loss Ohio State team might deserve a little bit more recognition than Boise State by the end of the year. But we'll see how that actually plays out. Uh, Honestly, with uh, the whole uh, BCS with Boise State, TCU, and Utah all up there, you still have Missouri, who's undefeated. You have Oklahoma State, who's undefeated. And even even Utah right there, who could uh, possibly knock out TCU. So I, I, I could possibly see Boise State being in there, but I, I, right now it's just a long shot. Interesting thing about TCU, I believe if you look at their last three matchups, combined scores, they've, I believe, won by a total of like 105 to 3. So honestly, from what I've seen from the body of work, TCU to me has looked like the more impressive quote unquote mid major of uh, of these contenders that we're talking about. Oh yeah, and if TCU goes undefeated with beating a top ten Utah team, I'm definitely going to jump them over Boise State. You know they've they've played the similar similar uh, opponent in Oregon State and just beat them just as just as bad. And then you have uh, TCU playing in the much stronger Mountain West Conference. Sure. Plus, they have those hideous uniforms that look almost like they're lacy. I don't. I don't think they've been breaking those out the last couple of weeks. But uh, that uh, almost makes me want Utah to beat them, just so I don't ever have to see that uniform on national television again. Hey, I like those unis. So it was a pretty nasty weekend in the NFL. Uh, a lot of big hits. A lot of helmet-to-helmet contacts. NFL talking this week about possibly levying suspensions. Turns out to be all talk. Uh, What do you think is the right move in eliminating these types of hits in the NFL? I understand there's a there's a cause of, for concern for the athletes. You know, it's definitely their profession, so they're getting paid these millions, millions of dollars and throwing their body out on the line. But we have to realize that it actually is pro football. You're expected to get the crap kicked out of you. That's one of the reasons why I never played football. I'm kind of a weak kid. I would get concussed playing tackle football in the backyard. But we're talking about men here. Uh, I saw some of the actual hits this week. I know uh, Harrison from Pittsburgh got fined. It was 50000 for his cheap shot on Matsukoi. I'll give him that one. It was a head shot. Actually, his was seventy-five. It was seventy-five. Okay. Sorry, Merriweather got 50000 First time offender, so he got a lesser fine. And then they also have the, I know the big talked about one was the uh, Dante 
Robinson hit where the uh, him and Deshaun Jackson both pretty much knocked each other senseless. Uh, so is it any different than what it's been in the past? No, not really. It's just it, it seems like the NFL is trying to stick their hands in and, and trying to protect their assets. But do these assets need to be protected? I think there's a couple of things. I think that uh, it's coming down specifically this week more because of the fact that there's just an extremely high amount of hits for one week. If you look before this week in this season, there really haven't been any hits that we've been talking about. So it it, kind of evened out for the entire season. But the fact that uh, all these hits happened in one week, that's what kind of raised the awareness a little bit. Also, you have to realize the NFL is dealing with a lot of issues as far as health care for their former players, which is costing them a lot of money, and it's really hurting their reputation uh, in a lot of circles because of the fact that they haven't had the proper coverage for the people who have had the head injuries and, and things like that in the past. So that combined with the studies they've done on, uh, you know, on football players who have retired that have had the multiple concussions, uh, concussions are a big topic in the NFL right now. And the NFL has obviously got to do whatever they can to at least make it look like they're trying to prevent that, whether they're in it for the welfare of the player or for the uh, stability of their own pocketbooks is is completely up in the air. But uh, they have to at least make it look like they're trying, don't they? I guess they do. But as a fan, I know I'm not looking forward to that. You know, they're trying way too hard to get into something that is going to be tough. You know, they say a devastating hit. Well, if you're leading with your shoulder and you hit a guy square in the shoulder, you know, your heads are right near each other. It's probably going to be a clean hit, but because of contact and body going everywhere, you know, you're going to have probably a little helmet to helmet. So that that's going to be tough to see how they distinguish that. But I'm all for them stopping helmet to helmet or blatant headshots. You know, that's not anything that needs to be in the game. It's already a tough enough game, but to take cheap shots on people, definitely not called for. What did you think about Jerome Harrison's statements that uh, he's actually out on the field to injure players, or I should say hurt players. He doesn't want to injure them. I, I don't think he understands what the fine line is there. Uh, what, what did you think about those statements? It, it, it seems to me that when you got players making those types of comments, that's a problem. It is a problem. Uh, I know the defensive Coordinator is probably all for that. Hey, you know, he's out there going to give it his all. But, you know, as an athlete, what if he was the recipient of one of these cheap shots or one of these shots and he lost his, you know, chance to play? I bet you he would be really pissed off in that instance, you know, and and he'd definitely be going after whoever did it to him. I'm not saying he's a dirty guy. He's definitely a physical guy. He just needs to keep his mouth shut because this is not the first time he's been in the uh, news. And, and just go out there and play some football. I think it's kind of appearances, too. I mean, you were talking about the NFL making it look like they're doing something about the problem. I think that always, you know, in a back room, your coach is going to tell you, we're going to hurt the other team. And not necessarily in a vicious or in vindictive way, but these guys are trained to hurt the, hurt the other guy, you know, to get them out of the game physically, you know, so that they're they're not as big of an impact. I'm kind of conflicted on this because I I think there's two things that I found interesting. One, I actually think that things like Dolby Surround and 3D NFL games and everybody watching these things in HD is bringing to light 
some things that were already there. There was already tough, hard hits. I think back to, you know, Turkey Jones dropping guys on their head and all this stuff that I've seen over the years. The NFL is a tough, vicious game that I think that now people are seeing it in high def and it's right in their living room. So it's, it's more out there. So they're really feeling the viciousness of it. You know, when you can see the spit flying and you can feel and hear the helmets crunching, you know, the way that we do nowadays, I think it's just more apparent. So you're right. They have to give the appearance that they're doing something about this, but ultimately that's what the game is about. So it's like, I don't necessarily want them to take something away, but then I'm looking at the other side of things and I'm watching these, um, you know, with all the advancements and stuff that's been made in sports medicine, these guys are trained and specifically work on muscles that will give them twitch reactions and muscle reflexes that are not natural in the human body. So they're actually the the lurches and and uh, coming at them with with their head and all the stuff. They they actually work on specific muscles and specific leg groups to actually accentuate that and if you compare a turkey jones who is kind of just like a big brute to today's player who's i almost want to say scientifically engineered to be a killing machine that's where there's the fine line so i understand the purists that are saying we don't want to take the roughness out of the nfl but at the same time we don't want to take these now scientifically created killing machines and actually kill someone. So, well, you know, there's been a couple of instances where in, uh, you know, boxing, a player goes down and they never get back up. And I think the NFL as a sport has been extremely lucky that they've not seen that happen. You've had your stories where, you know, there was a kid last week, uh, Legrand, I think his name was from Rutgers paralyzed from the neck down after making a tackle. In a in a you know a routine kickoff return, all of that stuff is unfortunate. But everything changes when somebody never gets back up. That's right. When they're coming off on a stretcher, it's one thing. When when their you know vital signs are gone, it's a completely different thing. And the NFL as a as a league has to prevent that from happening because that's instant DEFCON one. You become toxic if you get to that point and you don't make adjustments. So uh, you know train killers. To an extent, let's let's keep it all in context. There's a reason there was such an outrage uh, raised when Kellen Winslow Jr. made the comments about being a soldier and it being war out there, and you know, uh, comparing stuff like that in a time when America's at war. You, you can't bring that stuff into light, and and people need to keep this stuff in perspective. Uh, even if you are, uh, even if you are Jerome Harrison and you're genetically bre- bred to be the super athlete and the and the hard hitter, he even said in his interviews that the reason that he hits the way that he does is because he wants to get on Sports Center. That's not right. You don't lay guys out because you want to get on Sports Center. Make a tackle, be, do what's right for your team. But the whole mentality where I've got to do stuff so I can get on the top ten list—that's just not right. That's that has no place in the game. Do we know how recently they started featuring like big hits on Sports Center? I mean, they haven't always done that, have they? Where, uh, where, where you can break the top ten by having a smack hit? I mean, I want to say it's actually it still pretty seems- rare that you get on the top ten, but you'll definitely get the highlight. Right. Okay. I've heard a lot of pro athletes nowadays. You know, more so in the NBA 
talk about watching themselves on SportsCenter, that they're playing to get the highlight rather than playing to play the game. And that's frustrating to me as a fan. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't hear him say that, but that's that's pretty ridiculous. You got to think that most fans out there, you know, especially from a blue-collared background, I, I don't want to see the guys who are all about the flash and the glitz and the glamour. I want the dude who's putting in there, you know, getting 10 to 12 tackles a game, helping out his team. I, you know, I could care less if he is if he's making that one impact hit that puts him on the TV. You know, I, I'd rather have a no-name defense at that point as long as they're out there getting their job done. You know, it's funny. For all the more that people have said about Ray Lewis over the years, you don't see him doing that kind of stuff. No, he just goes and kills people. He was acquitted, so... That never happened. So is OJ. Uh, actually, actually, to be fair, OJ was acquitted. Ray Lewis had his charges dropped. So a little different. But anyways, uh, <laughs> completely beside the point. When when you look at a lot of the great linebackers, they haven't had to concuss people, and they haven't had to knock people out of games to get the names that they've earned. They did that by making all of the tackles that they had to make, not by making spectacular tackles. There's a couple of there's a couple of uh, exceptions to that rule. I mean, you could always look at uh, you know Jack Tatum had some pretty famous hits, uh, specifically uh, one where he ended the career of a, a receiver whose name I can't remember at the moment. But uh, for the most part, the the guys who are up the top of the list of the career tackles. No, I was just going to throw John Lynch out there. I know he's been called, you know, a dirty hitter, but he's a guy who's been out there, you know, how many years just sitting sitting back and waiting almost to pop people, kind of like a Jack Tatum. Yeah, Lynch, uh, of course, Romanowski, that dude was a, that dude was a nutcase. But you'll you'll have the occasional guy who just who's just off his rocker. For the most part, like I said, if you look at the list of the people who top the league in tackles, and let's let's be honest with you, when you're on defense, tackles and interceptions and sacks are what matter. That's what wins games. That's what wins games. Absolutely. And when you look at the people who are at the top of the list, I mean, for crying out loud, the all-time sack leader in the NFL history is Bruce Smith. That guy, if you took a mic to him and you just talked to him and you didn't see that he was, you know, 12 feet tall and 900 pounds, you would just think he was just an average run-of-the-mill nice guy. But he had 270 sacks. I don't know how many sacks he had. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But, you know, he, he had 300 sacks, more than anybody has ever had before him. So it just goes to show you that while you may think you get an edge from doing that, really what gets you the edge and what gets you notoriety and what gets you records and what wins you games is by being consistent, being where you're supposed to be, making the plays you're supposed to make, not by getting on SportsCenter. I think these guys want the fame. They don't want the game, though. I th- It goes back. We've talked about this on many past episodes, mm-hmm. but you're they're going to I even think that the more thuggish of the NFL players out there are going to say, hey, 50 grand, 75 grand. That's an easy investment because I'm going to get on Sports Center or on the highlight reel and I'm going to get I'm going to sell jerseys because the thugs out there are going to relate to me. So unfortunately, I really wish that NFL players held, you know, your philosophy that they really should aspire to be the greatest players and to do the things that they need to do to win games. Unfortunately, I think the trend is showing otherwise. 
that's almost an athlete issue nowadays. No matter the sport, it's always about look at me, look at me, and look how great I am. Not hey, look, we have a phenomenal team out, you know, out there performing at our our top. It it really is a me first generation almost, and it's it's kind of becoming disgusting and sickening. The ironic thing about it is you don't see it in individual sports. In sports where individuals do everything themselves, golf, yep. tennis, you know, sports where it's one individual who controls their entire destiny, you don't see that type of behavior. You only see it in sports where there's a team mentality and you've got guys who just don't want to buy into that. They want to be the superstar themselves. And uh, I just it's a little bit odd if you think about it. The people who should be that way aren't. The people who shouldn't are. Yeah, unfortunately, it's it's the same thing. You look at music or anything, it's a market-driven thing. And unfortunately, these characters draw people to games and in team sports. Uh, if you had a team of lesser-knowns or also-rans or people that you couldn't name the position players but played the game perfectly well, it would be boring to watch. And so from a marketing, I mean, unfortunately... If you took the NFL and you took all of the marketing out of it and you made the absolute perfect team, you'd get rid of that stuff, but you'd also get rid of the interest to a lot of people in in pop culture. I I think it would be great because I I love to see the game played well by skilled athletes and you know, I love to see genuine emotion and not just a bunch of crap. So but I'm not the average football fan either. And let's face it, the only way to get rid of these hits entirely is to put some flags around their waist and have them tear those things off instead of tackling them. So we're never going to be rid of vicious hits. I think, um, I think what we're looking to do here more is to just kind of curb the fringe malicious hits which uh, I don't know that um, I don't know that there's a hit that happened this weekend that that would be considered malicious, other than definitely the Jerome Harrison hit on Muhammad Masakoy. Yeah, got to count that one. No, I would say the Merriweather. I, I would say the Merriweather. He he led with his hands, went right for the head. I, I think that he might have had an intent to actually hurt someone there. Yeah, I would agree. Okay, you you got that one. The the hit on Josh Cribbs was unfortunate. It was a it was a high level hit. It didn't need to be made, but there wasn't anything I didn't think dirty about it. It was a legal play, just kind of unfortunate the way it unfolded. And the same goes with the hit on Deshaun Jackson. There was literally nothing inappropriate about that hit. He led with his shoulder. He he did everything he was supposed to do. Just the sheer impact of the hit made it look like, let's face it, he looked like a rag doll on his way to the ground. All right, so at this point, we're about halfway through the Major League Baseball playoffs, and I don't think uh, there's a whole lot of people out there who had everything shaken out the way that it's shaken out. Who would have thought that the Texas Rangers may be the best team left in the playoffs and that the New York Yankees may be the worst team left in the playoffs? I've definitely been pleasantly surprised by the play of the Giants. Didn't think they stood a chance uh, against the uh, Phillies, but uh, they've, they've definitely proved that wrong. Are you surprised by everything's the uh, way it's gone down, Bob? Yeah, you know, 
going into this whole thing, I bet you it would be interesting to see who had a Texas San Francisco championship game if 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 that's how it actually ends up. You know, I'm shocked. It's not anything. It's still early. As long as New York doesn't go down three one or Philadelphia doesn't go down three one. I, I think it's going to be should be a, a competitive league series. So hopefully we don't get the blowouts like we did in the in the first round. And yeah, I'm I'm definitely shocked. I am. Yeah, I think we've seen it over the past years that just because the first couple of games of a series go a particular way, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, that series is going to go that way as a whole. I think when you're talking about a team like the Yankees who have so much experience in the postseason, so much talent on their roster, uh, you've definitely got to look look at that as a team that's capable of making that turnaround and winning, you know, three in a row if they have to win three in a row, two in a row, uh, whatever it takes. So I, I don't think you can certainly count them out. However, I know personally, I didn't think the Texas Rangers would get past the Rays. And the fact that they've been able to essentially win uh, 26 out of 27 innings against the Yankees, they, they lost game one, but it was just because they uh, you know, put their uh, relief pitchers in in the eighth inning of game one and just got shredded. Save for that one inning, this has been the Rangers series. Yeah, most definitely. They, you know, it, it, it's interesting just because of the fact that they made the uh, off-season, actually in-season acquisition of Cliff Lee, who has performed phenomenally for them. Second year in a row that he's done that in the playoffs. Uh, unfortunately for them, that they had to use him in tonight or the game three. There we go. So, you know, if if they can have more of those type performances from their pitching staff, it's definitely going to help them going through the vaunted Bronx Bombers. But the one thing that definitely doesn't surprise me is that pitching is winning these series. You know, each game has come down to whether or not the the pitching staffs have been able to hold it together and go long into the uh, 7th and 8th inning. You put any stock in this whole theory that uh, Cliff Lee is out there just as a rehearsal or a or a interview you might say uh auditioning to be a new york yankee next year or do you think he legitimately wants to win this one for the texas rangers can't go wrong either way to be honest but you you know uh new york's definitely going to throw out the most money to him hopefully he doesn't go there because it'll make me sad inside the fact that New York could have both Cliff Lee and CC that the Indians had just two years ago and couldn't finish everything off with. So hope, hopefully he either sticks in the West, uh, either the AL or the NL, or just sticks in the NL. But we'll see how that shakes out. You know, that's another story another time. Hopefully he gets back on the mound in this series and, and beats the Yankees again. The Cleveland Indians are the wine cellar of baseball. They're a stinky, damp tunnel that allows these phenomenal pitchers to age and ripen, and then they go somewhere else to be enjoyed. I think Cleveland as a whole is a freaking wine cellar. We're musty, damp pit where you stick this stuff to age. I'm sick of it. Well, you have, but I love Cleveland. You have every right to be sick of it. I mean, there's uh, the the organization, um, the, the Dolan Run Cleveland Indians organization, is definitely not one of the uh, 
banner organizations in professional sports. Uh, and and if you look at what they did, if they if they'd have had uh, if they'd have had Cliff Lee, CC Sabathia, and uh, you know Fausto Carmona when he was uh, when he had his best stuff, uh, if they'd have had those all together, then it doesn't it doesn't matter who's swinging the bats right. at that point in time. But uh, uh, they just they just have always looked at it as they have better opportunity to get better by trading these guys away for prospects who turned out in hindsight to be. Nothing. No, it was more of oh, Dolan wow. just trying to save money. That That's really what it's all about. When you uh, have a team that's two outs away from going to the World Series and your big offseason acquisition is Jamie Carroll, you know there's something wrong. You had the pitching. You needed the offense. You sat on your hands, did absolutely nothing, and that's ridiculous. So as long as Dolan owns the team, I, I can't expect anything for them. All I can do is hope the players that leave – get their shots. Unfortunately, there's two ways to make money. There's save and there's take calculated risks or take big risks for big rewards. I think that unfortunately, even with a championship win in any major sport, Cleveland just still will not pay out to the city and to the team where you would get from a New York or what you would get from a Boston or Los Angeles. I So ultimately, I think that's why Cleveland can never push it over the edge because the owners are still going to say, okay, if we do win the championship, we're still Cleveland. Next year, we're still Cleveland. <laughs> and what are we going to do? We're not going to develop the lakefront. We're not going to do anything that makes the city more attractive. We're, we're still Cleveland. So that's what I th- that's what I think personally is going to keep any owner from ever pushing it. The, Dan Gilbert was the closest last year, and he thought he was doing it with the acquisition of Shaquille O'Neal. Didn't pan out because well, to be to be fair, before this year, the Texas Rangers were that team. They never won anything. In fact, this is the first year in their entire existence that they have ever even won a playoff series. They were that team that no matter what they did, they couldn't get any better. They go out and they buy A-Rod and they spend all this money and they don't even make the playoffs once. So there, I, I think there's hope for teams. It's just you got to have the right ownership group in there. And you got to have, uh, you know, there's, there's no question about it. Texas has been a better team the last two years um, before this year, they were they were a better team. They just were never quite good enough. And then when the de- when the deadline came along this time, they went out and they got their guy. They got Cliff Lee, and look where it's brought him. A player like Cliff Lee comes onto your roster. He not only adds you a win at his spot in the rotation, but he also adds you uh, veteran leadership to your pitching rotation. And he gets he gets the he gets the level of play brought up by everyone around him because if Cliff Lee gives up one run. In a nine-inning outing, you can't let him lose that game. Right. You just can't do it. So I, I, I think that there's a there's a level of, uh, of of urgency when you have a guy like him on your staff that hey we got to win games for this guy because we know that he's going to come out here and give us our your best stuff every year. And and uh, I, I think it's interesting to be fair. You mentioned uh, the Indians being two outs away from going to the World Series. That was without Cliff Lee. They didn't even have him then. I mean, he was on their roster, but uh, I believe he was injured. He was out of the rotation, and it was and it was Fausto Carmona and, and CC Sabathia. So if they come back next year, and all their pitchers hit, or I'm sorry, all their pitchers are are pitching at the top tier. Uh, 
All they needed was some bats. Now, to be fair, they came back the next year, and CC Sabathia was terrible for two months, and uh, they didn't think they had a chance of winning anything, so they dumped him, and and uh, whatever. No, I, I'm going to actually jump in there and uh, back the Bob's reference about how saying Cleveland isn't in it, that they'll never have the support. Look at the mid-'90s and said Indians team. We had how many games? 455 sold-out games in a row. That's ridiculous. So even at that, you can even look at the Cavs organization. If you put a product out there, they'll go. Even Tampa Bay this year in the playoffs, a typically generic sports franchise since its existence, they had to open an extra 5,000 seats in their stadium, which they had trouble filling the entire year. If you put a product out there that's good enough, you're going to get people to go. And and that's just it, it in baseball, in basketball, in sports in general. You have to be able to build a good product. And, and it's tough. It really is. So... I wasn't necessarily um, questioning the fervor of the fans. I think the fans are still there, and I think my fervor is still there um, for Major League Sports in Cleveland. I I just question from a business standpoint, I really think it's going to take a extraordinary jump, an extraordinary risk, uh, an owner digging into his pockets or digging into his piggy bank per se because he's saying and and that's why i said i think dan gilbert did that this last year and it didn't work but there are like i said there are calculated risks and and sometimes the big risk means big reward sometimes it doesn't but i think that after seeing what dan gilbert did this year it's going to be another 10 to 15 years of any owners of major uh, sports franchises in Cleveland taking that risk again. You could be right. Now, I think when you're talking about football, there's there's uh, you know pretty solid, hard salary cap in place. Even with the NBA, uh, Dan Gilbert's going to spend as much as he can, but he's limited on how much he can. Uh, baseball is a little bit of a different world because you've got teams like the Mets, the Yankees, the Red Sox, who go out there and they spend, 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 spend. The league has a luxury tax that they charge them, and they take that money and they dispense it amongst the team who didn't meet the luxury tax limit. And you get teams like Kansas City, you get teams like Pittsburgh, who could get five hundred and fifty thousand. I don't know the exact dollars. They they get. We'll just say for the sake of example, they get five hundred and fifty thousand dollars in shared revenues just that was distributed from the league and from the luxury tax income that the league got. And then they only go out and spend four hundred and fifty thousand dollars on their roster. So as long as you have a league that fosters that kind of activity and says, "Look, I'm going to give you more money than you have to spend, and you don't even have to win a game," you're going to make a profit. Uh, for the MLB, they need to actually kind of take a peek up north. Well, maybe not up north, but with the NHL and see how when they had their lockup, yeah, Canada. But with the NHL, how when they came back, they came back with not only a hard cap, but there was a top that you couldn't go over, and then there was also a bottom that you couldn't go under. So you have teams like Kansas City, 
before recently Tampa Bay, you know, those teams that actually have to put a better product and spend their money. Uh, you're seeing it a little bit, a little bit differently done in, in Major League Baseball, and hopefully they can get the draft problems all sorted out. But the Pirates are a good example of a team that's actually looking to spend through the draft. You know, they're definitely overslotting people and paying them more money, knowing that they'll be able to get them to come there. But you know, it, it's them paying more money in that aspect. So hopefully. I, I want to see it soon. I don't think it will be done anytime soon, but there needs to be some sort of hard cap with baseball. Sorry to get you guys off topic. You were probably uh, wanting to talk more about picks and, and how the playoffs are going. I, I still feel kind of confident that the, uh, the Phillies are going to, the Phillies are going to pull out the NL. Um, it's been it's been great to watch the Giants play the, the way that they played, but I think the veteran pedigree that you've got in Philadelphia is going to end up being too much. I think the AL is a little bit more interesting because I, I just looked at the way that uh, the Texas Rangers have approached these first couple of games, and they look like the team to beat out of the two. I still think that uh, I still think the Rangers will stretch them to six or seven, but I th- I think the Rangers are uh, are the team of destiny out of the AL. Well, hopefully they can. Hopefully they can pull the Rockies, you know, a few years ago and and just take a good run and and hopefully they can win it. It'll be good to see a little parity or a little diversity up there at top instead of just the Phillies and the Yankees. So even if it pulls out to be a Yankees Phillies series. I won't be too upset with that. It, it's I, I still think it's too early to tell in the in the seven game set. So it, if Texas does come out and actually uh, top New York tonight, then yes, I'll say they're in in the uh, leaders chair there uh, with with their series. But I you can you really tell after three unless you know it, it's up three nothing. So. I, there's still some time for for both teams to get get where they want to go. Yeah, well, anyway, you look at it, I think we're definitely in some ex- for exciting October of baseball. Been good so far. Pitching has definitely been the been the soup du jour, but uh, I look forward to seeing what we have coming up uh, still to come. Well, this has been Sports on Point. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please send us your suggestions on how we can improve the show or comments to feedback at sportsonpoint.com. You can also call the show at 646-39-POINT. That's 646-397-6468. Thanks for listening, everybody. Check out the NBA Preview Special Edition podcast coming out this week as well. And hopefully download, listen, and enjoy. Give me back my diet pills. I I can't. I can't go on after that. That's ridiculous.